Would you turn to James, the uh, third chapter? If you didn't bring a Bible with you tonight, our ushers have extra Bibles. We'd be glad to let you use one of ours. Hold up your hand if you didn't bring a Bible with you tonight. If you need a pen and paper, they might be able to help you in that department too. We'll see. But going to James 3 and verse 1. Brethren, be not many masters, knowing we shall receive the greater condemnation. In many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man and able also to bridle the whole body. That's a real Elizabethan. Listen to the, uh, the Living Bible. The Living Bible says, Dear brothers, don't be too eager to tell others their faults. For we all make many mistakes. And when we teachers of religion who should know better do wrong, our punishment will be greater than it would be for others. If anyone can control his tongue, it proves that he has perfect control over himself in every other way. If you control what? Your tongue. If you got control of your mouth, you got control of your life. I want to say that again. If you've got control of your mouth, you've got control of your life. Most Christians don't believe that. Most people don't believe that. How many have read the rest of this chapter? What does he go on to talk about? Ships, though they be so big and are driven with fierce winds, you can control them with a relatively small part of the ship. The rudder. Horses. Though they can be huge and strong and a man couldn't overpower them and make them do something. But with that small apparatus of a bit, you can control them, control all that strength and all that power with that one little thing. And he goes on to say, that's how the tongue is. If you can control your tongue, you can control your life, your whole body and your whole life. Hmm? Say it out loud. Control your tongue. Control your life. Now, like I said, most folks don't believe that. It's obvious they don't believe it by how they talk. Well, it's marriage meeting. <laughs> Could you see any application of this to marriage? <laughs> now, we, it, it does sound kind of humorous, but yet... Do we believe it or not? What if the husband and the wife, their marriage is a mess? What if they've lost feelings for each other? They don't even enjoy being around each other anymore? What could you do? Can it be changed? Is it really true that all things are possible with God? And all things are possible to him that believes? If it's true, all things being possible, then it's true. That a marriage that is virtually hell on earth could become a piece of heaven on earth. Is it possible? Now see, there are a lot of folk that are convinced it's not possible. Well, you don't know my husband. Uh, You don't have to live with my wife. No, what are they saying? It's not possible. Too much has happened. Too many things have been done and said. 
Too much water under the bridge, they say. Too far gone. Too bad. Well, you're saying the Lord's not right. Because he said all things are possible. Is it possible for a hellish marriage to become a peaceful marriage? A bad marriage to become a good marriage? Is it possible? That's kind of weak, but we are faith people, are we not? Are we faith people? Faith people believe it's possible. We're not fear people. We're not doubt people. We're faith people. Well, don't stop at your marriage. Oh, I believe God can do anything. I believe God can do anything. I believe God can do anything. God can make your marriage wonderful. Uh, I don't know about that. (laughs) If he can heal a body. If he can pay taxes out of a fish's mouth. If he can rain bread out of the sky. Come on now. If he can split the Red Sea. If he can make the sun stand still. If he can raise the dead. Why couldn't he fix your marriage? Why couldn't he? He can. I said he can. There is no marriage too far gone he can't fix. That's not even the issue. The issue is, will you try? Will you give him anything to work with? That's the title of my message tonight. Are you trying? Are you trying? You know, uh, there is a misnomer in prayer that people use. Help me, Lord. You ever heard that? Help me. Oh, oh, help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. Quit cussing. Oh, Lord, help me. I don't want to cuss. Help me. Help me quit drinking. Help me quit doing drugs. Help me quit slapping people. Oh, Lord, help me. Help me quit overcharging all my credit cards. Oh, God, you got to help me. My finances are in such a mess. You got to help me. Help me. But really, people are not saying what they're really meaning. They're using the wrong word. If I said, would you come over to the house and help me move some furniture? And you show up and I say, oh, man, I'm so glad I wanted you to come help me move this piano and help me move this big bed and help me move this stuff. And so I go over and lay down on the sofa (laughs) (laughs) with a glass of iced tea. (laughs) I say, man, I appreciate you helping me. Did I say it right? No. No. What should I have said? I want you to come do it for me. I'm using the wrong word. And that's what people mean when they're praying too. Uh Oh God, help me. Help me quit spending money. Well, no, you're trying to get him to make you quit. Help me quit cussing. Help me quit drinking. Help me quit slapping my wife around. Help me quit. Help me quit kicking the dog. Oh Lord, help me. Help me. Well, if you're going to help someone, that means you're going to assist them do what they're doing. But what if they're doing nothing? What if I said, oh, come help me, and I'm laying on the couch drinking tea, what should you do? If you're going to help me, you have to lay on the couch. Because that's what I'm doing. 
<laughs> no, you've got to give him something to help. You've got to give him something to bless. That's why seed time and harvest is essential. Every farmer knows it's no good to pray, beg God to bless my crop, bless my crop, bless my crop, and you didn't sow a crop. Hmm? There's nothing to bless. He could put a, I mean, he can send the rain, he can send the sunshine, he can prosper, but there's no seed in the ground. Got to give him something to bless. You got to give him something to help. So we're saying, are you trying? Are you giving him anything to help? I have heard people say before, and you'll find this in a lot of books on marriage, that communication is the number one problem in marriage and relationship. Communication. Our lack of communication, the number one problem, cause of marriage problems. I don't agree with that statement. Uh, you can be communicating perfectly and destroy your marriage. <laughs> communication is important. We're going to be talking about it a lot tonight. But if you ask me, well, Brother Keith, what would you say is the number one problem in marriages? Number one cause of problems, selfishness. Which is, for the Christian, failure to keep the love command. That is the number one problem. That's it. Whole host of things connected to it. Communication is important. You need to be able to talk. Husbands and wives, you get to where you can't talk, you're in trouble. And we, uh, we've had a number of questions that people have turned in this week, men and women. And Phyllis and I, I think we've looked at every one of them, talked about them. And again and again, we look at each other and say, well, they need to talk about this. They need to talk about this. Boy, how do I get him to do this? How do I get her to do this? How do I get him to quit doing this? How do I get her to quit doing that? And you want to say, have y'all talked? You know, y'all ought to get together. Because <laughs> this affects both of you. And you ought to talk. But people have gotten to the place in their relationships and many times where they don't talk. If they do, they just, it escalates into this fight. Well, that's a problem. You get like that and you don't fix it. Things are only going to get worse. And it does not work to play ostrich. You know what I mean by that? Stick your head in the sand. A lot of people do that. A lot of people do that. They just don't talk about it. They just don't broach the subject. They don't deal with it. Why? Because last 40 times we brought it up, it was a big blowout fight. So why talk about it, you know? Well, that doesn't work either. Because it's sitting on the back burner. Hmm? And the heat is on. Right. Are you with me? And you may go years, but it's still there. And at some point it's going to pop. And usually when you least need it to, it's going to pop. Said out loud, you have to talk. You've got to. You've got to talk. You've got, and not just talk, you've got to be able to talk to each other. And you've got to be able to do it properly properly 
Can we talk about this tonight? Like I said, you can be communicating perfectly and destroy your relationship. Because communication is not just about expressing perfectly how I feel. And that you'll see even among Christian counselors. They'll say, well, tell them how you feel. No, a lot of times it doesn't matter how you feel. It contradicts the word. You need to change how you feel. Yeah, but I feel that way and it's real. That doesn't make it right. I don't care how strongly you feel a certain way. It doesn't make it right. It's real to you. Doesn't mean it's right. And there are a lot of times in your life you feel very strongly about something. But the truth is you have no right to feel that way. And it's wrong for you to feel that way. And you need to change the way you feel. And people act like, well, I can't help how I feel. Oh, yes, you can. Oh, yes, you can help how you feel. Because how you feel is the result of what you have let yourself think on. And what you have talked about. And what you have listened to. And what you have pondered and imagined. It's the fruit of it. And if you control what you are thinking about and talking about, if you change that, your feelings are going to change. Or do you have any responsibility for your own feelings? Or is it just some mysterious cosmic something? It just happens and I feel how I feel and I can't help how I feel. Have you ever heard that phrase? I can't help how I feel. That's a lie. Hmm? I can't help how I, I can't help it. I can't. That's how I feel. And people are communicating. <laughs> well, let me tell you how I feel. I have feelings too. And since you brought it up, which way is this thing going? Oh, they're communicating. Maybe waxing eloquent. They may be using big words. They may be expressing precisely how they feel. They may be using exactly the right words to convey how they feel. Communication is on a top level and yet destroying their relationship. Go with me to Ephesians, please. Ephesians, the fourth chapter. We need to talk. We must talk. Yes, communication is important. It is vital. But not just any communication, good communication. Somebody say good. Good communication. When I say good, I mean the God kind. Like God is good. Ephesians 4, are you there? Now, I know we've heard these scriptures before, and yet there are things in them we haven't heard before. But it's not just hearing them. Let's examine ourselves. Are we doing this tonight? Ephesians 4, 29. 4, 29. Are you there? What does it say? Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Did he say try? No. No. 
He said, don't let it. Don't let any corrupt. Now, he's talking much specifically about communication. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. Notice he's not talking about telling them how you feel. Your feelings are the fruit of what you have chosen to think on and talk about. Listen to. Can they be changed? Can your feelings be changed? Can your feelings toward your spouse change? Can their feelings toward you change? If you're having a real bad go of it, you should already know that they changed from good to bad. You know they can change. I've already proven that. So they can change. Well, if they can change that direction, what else do you know? They can change the other direction. But you can't act like you are a helpless victim of your feelings. You can't clutch your Kleenex. And go, yeah, but it's how I feel. I can't help how I feel. That's a lie. I said, that's a lie. Can you do anything about your feelings? Are you responsible for your feelings? Somebody says, well, I don't know that I agree with that. They really hurt me. They really did something that was devastating to me. Maybe they really did. But does it have to incapacitate you the rest of your life? Maybe they did. Maybe it's legitimate. They really did something bad to you. Isn't it though still your choice whether you think about it today? Whether you relive it every day. Whether you rehash it every week. I was at a friend of mine's house years ago. And he had a little boy. I don't know, what was he, three years old? Something like that, three or four. Little guy just walking and running good. And he had fell down and scraped his knee on the sidewalk. Well, mom had doctored it up and put a Band-Aid on it, one of these big square ones. But he knew me and... When he saw me sitting on the chair, he came up and he said, Brother Keith, Brother Keith, look, look, look. And he pulled his knee up and he reached down and took that uh, bandage and he pulled it off. And of course, all the healing that had taken place the last few days, he pulled that off too. And then he opened it up where I could see how bad it was and how deep it was. He wanted me to see. Now, why did he show me that? Why did he show me that? He want, what did he want me to do? Ooh. Oh, that's bad. Oh, that's deep. Ooh, that's a bad one. Well, he's a baby. You see that? What did he want me to see? He wanted me to see the wound. He wanted me to see how deep it was. How bad it was. And did he hinder the healing process when he ripped that bandage off and opened up the wound? Well, he brought it right back to where it was a couple of days ago. And I was kind of laughing at him and going, ooh, yeah, (laughs) yeah. And the Lord said, that's how my people are doing. 
I sat there and got quiet on the couch. I got revelation. Every time you tell somebody for the 40th time what they did to you and how they hurt you and how bad you feel and how deep it is, that's exactly what you're doing. You're pulling off the healing and you're reopening that wound. And that's why people 50 years later still are not healed. Now, there are some bad things that happen. There are some things that people do that are just horrible. And people really are hurt and really are damaged extensively and deeply. But do we have a healer or not? I mean, I've had some pretty good injuries myself. I mean, I've gone down on motorcycles in the middle of the street. I've broken bones. I've had so, you know, I flew through a five strand barbed wire fence at 55 miles an hour. Yeah. But you know what? That was years ago. And I'm healed. What if I showed you tonight, though? I said, man, look at here where I went through that fence. And you say, when was that, Brother Keith? Oh, I don't know, 35 years ago. What would you say? Brother Keith, you better go to the doctor, man. I mean, why? You should be healed by now. Maybe it was a serious injury. But you should be healed by now. If you're not, something's wrong. What could be wrong? Well, if I reopen the wound every other day, if I pull it apart... Do you see this now? Friend, I don't care. Maybe it was your spouse from a previous marriage. Maybe it was your parent. Maybe it was your sister. Maybe it was a stepmom or stepdad. I don't know. Maybe it was horrible what they did to you. Still, it was 20 years ago. You should be healed. Amen. I said, You should be healed. So, well, you can say what you want to. You can read somebody else's book. You can do all kind of things. And you can have it 10 years from now if you want to. Or, or, you can say, Lord, forgive me. I forgive them. I release it. If there's anything with yourself, I forgive myself. I receive my forgiveness. I ask you to pour in the oil and wine. Can God heal a body? Of any disease. Well why can't he heal your insides? Of any hurt. Can he? Is there anything too bad he can't heal? Or too deep or too deep? No. But what do you got to do? You got to believe him to pour in the oil and wine. And then you got to close that thing. And you must not bring it up again. Are you listening to me now? If you keep reopening it, it's not going to heal. And there'll be people that'll want to talk to you about it sometimes and try to pull it out. And if you want it to be healed, you can't do it. Amen. You say, no, 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 I'm healed. Even if you don't feel like you are. And don't, don't talk it. Don't let them talk it. Why? I want to keep this thing closed. So it'll heal up. Husbands and wives that hurt each other five years ago, ten years ago. 
And every time they get in an argument, they bring up what the other one did five years ago, ten years ago. That's devilish. I said, that's devilish. And what else does it do? It rips off the scab. It opens the wound up again. Makes it a fresh wound. Puts you back to starting point of healing. What did the Lord say? If you've really repented, if you asked him, you confessed your sin, you repented, you received your forgiveness, what did he say? Their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. Another place says they won't be mentioned to them again. If he will do that with you, you certainly should do that with them. Friends, there are a number of things that should not be brought up again. They should not be mentioned again. They should be allowed to heal. Ephesians 4. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good. Somebody say good communication. To the use of what? Edifying. That it may minister what? Grace to the hearers and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God whereby you are sealed until the day of redemption. Does it grieve the Holy Spirit when we say mean things and hurtful things and damage? It grieves God, the Holy Spirit of God. He went on to say, let all bitterness and wrath And anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be ye kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiven one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Are we trying to do this? Are we making any kind of an effort, an attempt to do this? Or... Are we saying stuff that's hurting each other all the time? Not trying. Let me read this to you from some other translations. It really, really uh, opens it up. Ephesians 4.29 in the, uh, what is this, the easy to read translation. When you talk, don't say anything bad. But say good things that people need. Whatever will help them grow stronger. Then what you say will be a blessing to those who hear you. Now see, even Christian marriage counselors have told people to tell each other how you really feel. The Bible didn't tell you that. The Bible didn't tell you that. Because there's some ways you feel. Not only are you not supposed to tell them, you're supposed to quit feeling that way. Because it's wrong. I know it's real and I know that's how you feel, but you got no right to. It's against the word and it's wrong. And don't say you can't help how you feel because your feelings are the result of what you've decided to think on and talk about and listen to. It's true in every area. You cannot even be hungry. And somebody start talking about food. Golden brown cornbread. So what begins to happen? Feelings. Feelings, right? Why? Because you start thinking on something and that triggers something else. It triggers something else. affects your feelings. 
causes feelings to come up that wasn't even there. Some things should not be talked. Because they bring up feelings that you're not even supposed to have. Some things should not be talked. What should govern what you choose to say to your spouse? That's true, that's true. But according to this verse, according to this verse, what should govern what comes out of your mouth that you say to your spouse? What's the criteria it should meet? Will it edify them? Will it benefit them? Will it help strengthen them? Will it encourage them? Will it help them? Well, what if it won't? Now, the enemy will try to tell you, oh, you can't live like that. Yes, you can. Why did he tell us this? Let me read this to you from some other translations. Actually, that the rest of that passage from the easy to read said, Never be bitter, angry, or mad. Never shout angrily or say things to hurt others. That's corrupt communication. That refers to the previous phrase. Listen to this. Um, in the uh, Weymouth uh, 31, let all anger and loud insulting language to be unknown to you. Is it okay to say loud insulting things to your spouse? Is there any excuse for it? Is there any justifiable reason? Well, yeah, they made me mad. That means you had a feeling. And that's how I felt. And I just had to tell them how I felt. Wrong. You did not have to tell them how you felt. In fact, you didn't even have to feel that way. Is it okay to say mean and ugly things to each other as husband and wife? It's sin. It is not okay. You know, people, husbands and wives, they say stuff to each other they wouldn't dream of saying to a stranger. Mean, cruel, hurtful things. Oh, no, they're going to try to walk in love with strangers. But spouses, husbands and wives have said things you wouldn't even, you know, when you hear them said, you just shake your head and go, why would anybody say something like that? Why would you say that to somebody you're supposed to love? Now, we've all made mistakes in these areas. Don't get too quiet. Just look straight ahead and smile. But is it okay? It is not okay. And it is what is dividing households and causing destruction and division. You can't just say all this stuff and then turn around five minutes later and say, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. And it'd be okay. The Bible said, you and I will give an account. Even every idle word that we say, it is not okay to just get mad and upset and run our mouths. There's no excuse for it. Thank God there's forgiveness for it. But there's no excuse for it. And if we care about our marriages, if we care about our own peace and sanity, I mean, you could do this out of selfish reasons. 
if you'd like to have a quiet house. And have fun once in a while. You must get a hold of your mouth. Say it out loud. If I control my mouth, I control my house. If I control my mouth, I control my life. Most folks don't believe that. We should decide we do. The Bible says it. We believe it. Listen to another translation. The CEV says, stop being bitter and angry and mad at others. Don't yell at one another or curse each other or ever be rude. Well, if the Bible says don't do it, what should you do? He said in the Living Bible... 29, say only what is good and helpful to those you're talking to and what will give them a blessing. Verse 31, stop being mean, bad-tempered, and angry. Quarreling harsh words and dislike of others should have no place in your lives. Now, I have heard people justify this in the name of being honest. So-called honesty does not justify hurting people with your words. Does it? Well, they asked me. I had to be honest. I couldn't lie. Yeah, you're not even trying. Hmm? You're not even trying. So don't be shocked when your marriage is falling apart. We received a number of questions along this line. Well, if my husband asks me this, do I tell him? If my wife asks me this, if uh, my wife asks, does this make me look fat? What do I say? Well, if my husband says, do you think I'm fat? Uh, do you think I'm this? Do you don't like this? You like the way this smells? You don't like the way this looks? Well, hey, you got to be honest. Yeah, I don't like you. <laughs> they asked. <laughs> they asked. Does this make me look big? Big as a barn. (laughs) Well, I can't lie. Lying and being crude and hurtful are are two completely different things. You don't have to be harsh and cruel to be honest. Do you? There's criteria that as a child of God, a Christian, a real Christian, there's criteria the words out of your mouth are supposed to meet. And if they don't meet the criteria, it's not supposed to come out of your mouth. Doesn't matter how true you think it is or how real it feels, if it doesn't meet this criteria, it's not supposed to come out of your mouth. What's one of them? Edifying. Is this going to edify them? Is it going to help them? And with that, uh, go to Colossians 4. There's a lot more in that, but I want you to see this side of it now. Colossians 4. This is the second major criteria that your words should meet. Colossians 4 and 6. Let your speech be always with what? Grace. Grace, seasoned with salt, 
that you may know how you ought to answer every man. That, that's everybody. Listen to uh, another translation. It says, when you talk, you should always be kind and wise. God's Word translation says, everything you say should be kind and well thought out. Well, that'd eliminate a bunch of talk, now, wouldn't it? Kind and well thought out. <laughs> the message says, be gracious in your speech. The goal is to bring out the best in others in a conversation, not to put them down. Somebody say, edifying. edifying. Gracious. gracious. I know, you know, initially you may not be overly excited about this. But this is exciting stuff tonight. This is the how to turn it around. This is it. And it's something you can do right now. Have you got a mouth? Have you got a mouth right under your nose? Can you choose to say something differently? Can you choose not to say something? Then you can turn it around. You can start it turning right now. Right now. But if you want consistent and steady results, what do you got to do? You got to be consistent and steady in what you're saying and what you're not saying. Gracious. Somebody say edifying. Edifying. Say it again. Gracious. Gracious. Those are two things. Let's look at a third one. Then we'll put them all together in examples and application. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read these to you. But in the uh, proverb. Well, actually, Ecclesiastes says this. It says, a wise man's heart discerns both time and judgment. Somebody say time Time. and judgment. That's Ecclesiastes 8, 5. A wise man's heart discerns time and judgment. What does that mean? You know when and how. Let me read some others of these to you. Proverbs 29, 20 says, Do you see a man that's hasty in his words? There's more hope of a fool than him. What does it mean? Too quick to talk. What did James say? Let every man be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to get angry. A lot of folk practice that in reverse. Right? All right. Quick to fly off the handle, quick to run their mouth, and slow to listen. Well, that's why you got trouble too. That's why things are not right. Proverbs fifteen twenty eight says, The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, thinks about it, thinks about it. How am I going to say this? Does this make me look big? Well, I only got two choices, a lie or tell them the truth. Not so. Lying is not even an option. Not to a real child of God. Not even an option. So whatever we say is going to be the truth. But there are so many different ways to say things. And there's some things you can say and some things you don't need to say anything about. And areas you can touch on and other areas you don't even need to touch on. What's the question about what should come out of my mouth? 
Is it going to benefit them some way? Is it going to help them some way? We've had several questions this week of people that said, well, my spouse is not attractive to me. And I've told them so. And I'm sorry, but that's just the way it is. That is not okay. Well, I'm just being honest. No, you're not just being honest. You're being foolish. And you're being mean. Are you with me? I'm not just talking about one side. We've had men say it to their wives. We've had wives say it to their husbands. You're fat. I'm talking about a woman to the man now. You're fat and I can't stand to look at you. Much less for you to touch me. Well, I'm just being honest. That's how I feel. This is not okay. And it ain't just being honest. It's not even trying. Not even trying to keep the love command. Not even trying to be led. Not even trying to help. I actually had a minister one time tell me. He said, well, Brother Keith, I think God gave us our spouses so we could have somebody to unload on. Because, you know, we have to control ourselves and keep it together with everybody. And we need to have somebody that we could come home and just let it all hang out and just unload on. Absolutely not. That's ignorance. No. Before it comes out of your mouth, it's supposed to meet a criteria. What's the criteria? Is this going to benefit them some way? Is it going to help them some way? If not, I need to think again. Before I talk. Because what good is it going to do? They're already upset. I'm already upset. Make them more upset. Hurt their feelings. And then if they yield to the same spirit. They're going to turn around and try to hurt your feelings. And get back at you. Where does it go? Down. 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 It can just get. I mean it can turn into a brawl. Turn into a fist fight. Turn into breaking furniture. Why? Because one per. What is it? Uh. What's the word? It, it reduces to trying to hurt them. That's right. Now we might understand sinners that ain't even trying to serve God doing this. But we're supposed to be filled with the love of God. We got a commandment. We're supposed to have the Holy Ghost, the spirit of wisdom to tell us how to act and what to do. What's the problem? The problem is not that there's not any wisdom and help and grace there. The problem is people are not even trying to access it. Making no effort to do it. See, when you, when you say something hard like that, what are you trying to do? You are trying to hurt them. Aren't you? And there's no excuse for that. I don't care how mad you thought you got. I don't care what they did to you. There's no excuse for that. And it's not going to help you or them. When we grow up. When we grow up. We get a hold of our mouth. We begin to use our words on purpose. Oh, come on now. All kind of stuff may pop in your mind. 
but it doesn't mean you spit it out. They say something, and maybe it's pithy, catty, strikes at you, and a comeback pops up because you've always been quick-witted. You practiced at school. You practiced at college. Boy, don't start with me. I'll cut you up. You jive me and I'll double jive you. I'm quick. It's nothing to be proud of. You want to learn how to be quick to come up with something that helps. Quick to think of something that encourages. Quick to think of something that's comforting, uplifting. And I tell you, you make an effort to do this, people will love you for it. They will love you in a bad situation and they're hurting and they're down and you look at it. Maybe you're hurting too, but you check your heart and you say, Lord, show me what to say. Give me something to say. Show me what to say to help them. And he does. And you say it, and they look at you and go, you mean that? You go, yeah. And already they feel better. That's worth something. It takes effort to do that. I said, it takes effort. You have to try. Can't be selfish. You can't just focus on how you feel. But friend, this is how mature Christians operate. Can you say amen? Glory to God. Where were you? Well, this is all good. Talking about the scriptures. Look at Colossians 3, the 12th verse. I think you need a story right now. You need a little relief. Let me tell you a story. When I was a boy, my dad liked fast cars, and I grew up around it. We always had our head under the hood doing something. And uh, I mean, I'm motorhead from way back. And as soon as I got, you know, I I was working a full-time job when I was 13 uh, after school and uh, putting in 40-plus hours. You just stay late and work on Saturday. And as soon as I made a little money, you know what I'm going to do? <laughs> Get me a hot rod. Well, I eventually got the body of a 67 Camaro. Black on black, triple black. Had no motor, just a body. <laughs> what are you laughing about? You got to start somewhere. <laughs> and... Uh, I had cousins that were racers. I mean, they raced professionally, drag strip. And I asked them to help me build an engine. So we did. But I wanted to help too. And so I, the further I got into it, I realized, you know, you want stronger springs. You want higher compression. You want tighter tolerances. And so I figured if a little bit's better, more would be even better. So they said, put a bigger spring in the oil pump, makes more oil pressure. Well, what if we put even bigger spring than that? Well, you cut your own rings and, you know, cut them tighter. Put the tolerances tighter, get more compression. We thought, well, hey, let's don't hardly leave any gap at all. Let's just, 
I know it. You know where I'm going, but hey, I'm a teenager. So, I mean, we, we made her tight. And we finally got that thing. I mean, it looked great. I mean, it was painted all nice and had the chrome stuff on it. And we slipped it in the Camaro and four speed behind it. And we bolted it all up and put me a hot battery on it. It had a high torque starter and heavy flywheel and on and on and on. Went to crank it up. Mm. 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 I mean, it wouldn't turn on. I'm not talking about a revolution. It'd just go. Mm. We thought, well, we know it's tight. You know, we made it tight because we want this thing to burn, man. And couldn't get it turned over. Took other, you know, batteries and tried to boost it and help it. Nothing. So my brother, he was there. And we took daddy's tractor and hooked up to the front of it. And we're going to pull it. So we pulled it down the road. And I'd pop the clutch in second gear and just drag the wheels. Pop the clutch in third gear, just drag the wheels. Pop the clutch in high gear, just drag the wheels, drag the motor never turned over. So I, thought, I looked around, I thought, we need some weight in the back. And I just happened to have some relatives visiting that were heavy. <laughs> some ladies in the family that were quite heavy. And I asked them if they'd mind riding in the back seat while I pulled my car and tried to jump it off. <laughs> huh? Also? And Phyllis and Mom were in the trunk. I would forgot that. I'm wanting to hear this thing run. It never turned over. It never started. It never ran. And I learned a hard lesson that day. You've got to have some tolerance. (laughs) If you want it to run, there's got to be some tolerance. Somebody say tolerance. Tolerance. Do you know what I'm talking about now? Somebody say tolerance. Tolerance. There's got to be some room. You can't have metal on metal. You can't have friction all the time. Things are going to get hot. They're going to burn up. You've got to have something between them. You've got to have some room. got to have some space. Some folk are getting it, some not yet. I said, you got to have some space, space, space. You don't need to be in each other's face all the time, and you don't need to be on each other's case all the time. You need to give each other some space, space. Did you find Colossians? Colossians 3. And 12, I'm reading out of the English version. You are the people of God. He loved you and chose you for his own. So then you must clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Say that out loud. Compassion, Compassion. kindness, Kindness. humility, Humility. gentleness, Gentleness. patience. Patience. Verse 13 in the English version says, be tolerant 
with one another and forgive one another. Whenever any of you has a complaint against someone, you must forgive one another just as the Lord has forgiven you. You are not supposed to call your spouse on everything. You're missing it if you do. Well, yeah, but they're wrong. So what? You're wrong too. You don't know everything. You're not always right. Somewhere and other people have thought, I know preachers like this. I know preachers who think it's their job to correct everybody else's doctrine. They have appointed themselves Holy Ghost doctrine police. As if they were qualified to test everybody's doctrine. Barely getting by theirself. It is arrogance and it is ignorance to call people on every little thing. It means you are a judge. You're judging them constantly. And if you are a judge, you're not a doer. Yeah, but they're wrong. So just because they're wrong does not mean you're supposed to say anything. It is not an automatic, I'm supposed to call them on it and point it out to them. You're not supposed to say everything you see. You're not supposed to bring up everything you notice. You're not supposed to point out everything that bugs you. Hmm? Because again and again, even if you did, it's not profitable. If they don't want to hear it. I can see everybody's excited about this. Somebody say tolerance. tolerance. That engine never ran. Had to pull it out, take it apart, replace parts, build it like I had some sense. There's got to be some room for those pistons to go up and down in there. There's got to be some room. There's got to be some space. Right? And there's got to be some space between you and your spouse. I'm a strong believer in individual bathrooms. In two cars. Everybody know what I'm talking about? Individual closets. So Mr. Well, I don't have that. I don't, we only have one bathroom. You can get ready at different times. There's all kind of ways to work it out. But you don't need to be in each other's face 24-7. And you don't need to be correcting each other about something night and day. Nobody likes that. Nobody. And you're not qualified to judge somebody 24-7 and act like, you know, you're not making any mistakes. Somebody say space. Tolerance. If you want to have a good marriage, you want to have a good relationship, there's a lot of stuff you should not bring up today. There may be a t- you may need to talk about it six months from now, but now is not the time. They're not ready to hear it. They're not ready to talk about it. And if you got some smarts, you won't bring it up. Of course, now if you're not, if you're dumb, 
and you don't care, it's just how you feel, there's a verse I want you to read. (laughs) Got a word from the Lord for you. (laughs) Right here, Proverbs 30. (laughs) Anybody believe this could help tonight if you'd put it into practice? Proverbs 30. Tell me again, before it comes out of your mouth, this is at home, this is at church, I don't care where it is, it's all the same. Before it comes out of your mouth, it's supposed to meet some criteria. What? It's supposed to be edifying. It's supposed to be gracious. Hmm? Friend, there is no excuse for you telling your spouse they're ugly. There's no excuse for that. You say, well, I'm not attracted to them. And how long have you been saying that? Whatever you keep saying becomes more real to you. Now people say this, so well, I think we missed it getting married. The devil tells everybody that. Do you know it? He tells everybody that. He told me and Phyllis that. Sure, for years. He, he tells everybody that. Well, we weren't even trying to serve God when we got married. We were two young, dumb kids out of high school. And reading in 1 Corinthians 7, he's talking to people that's not even believers. And they had the same question. Well, what if my husband's not even a believer? Should I just leave him? What did he say? No, nah, if he's pleased to dwell with you, Y'all stay together and your children are sanctified. Nobody's not even a believer. See, these people were worshiping and praying to Diana of the Ephesians and sacrificing and committing mass orgies and stuff. That was their religion when they got married and got together. If anybody, you could say, well, they didn't know God. I mean, that marriage is no cap. God said, no, stay the way you are. Didn't he? Abide in whatever state you're in. Isn't that what he said? So I don't care what you thought. You need to quit entertaining that idea. You're just yielding to the devil. Well, maybe you missed it. Maybe you married the wrong one. Well, maybe this. Maybe that. Maybe this. You don't live on maybes. This is what it is. And God's good. Hmm? And if something's not right, it can change. But you got to quit. Are you with me now? Quit. Do not ask that question again. No. You're together. Let's enjoy it. Let's have a good life. And I assure you, anybody else you'd be married to, you're going to soon find out they got flesh. And of course, when you get there, there you are. (laughs) With your same flesh. There's no such thing. It's a marriage that's just automatically wonderful forever and nobody has to deal with anything. That's a Hollywood fairy tale. It doesn't exist. You know who has a good marriage? Who has a taste of heaven on earth? People who love God and believe God and make an effort to do the Bible with each other. Hmm? That's who has a good marriage. Remember your word from the Lord? Proverbs 30, are you there? 
Most of us have done this. Get all wound up about something. And if you're saved especially, you know before you say it. You ought not say that. But you're in the heat of it. And so you just say it. And old man, it really got worse then. Like throwing gasoline on a fire. Hmm? That's how things get so out of hand. Somebody's got to fuel it. And it is uncaring, mean, devilish words. Just like throwing gas on the fire. Proverbs 30 and 32. If you have done foolishly in lifting up yourself, if you have thought evil, what do you do? You better get your hand on your mouth. Why? Because you still got some control over the situation at this point. Right? If you don't blab it and say it, you still got some control. So if you need to, what are you doing? Oh, I'm doing the Bible. I'm a doer of the Word of God. Read the next verse. Read the next verse. Surely the churning of milk brings forth butter, and the ringing of the nose brings forth blood. So the forcing of wrath or anger brings forth strife. Somebody say, don't push it. Don't push it. Don't push it. See, people get on stuff, don't they? Husbands and wives, they get on stuff. And they just won't quit. They won't quit. They won't shut up. Hmm? And then you thought it died down. And here they come again. And here they come again. Well, but it's right. I'm right. So, what does that mean? You're right, but ignorant. (laughs) You're technically right, but spiritually you are oh so wrong. The forcing of anger. You're going to listen to me. Don't you walk out of here. You're going to hear what I say. And what if they do hear it? And you say it perfectly. And you express exactly how you feel. Then what do you got? Is that kind of treatment going to make them look up at you and go, I just love you. Come here, let me give you a hug. You know, when you get pushy with me like that, it just excites me. Now, when's the last time you saw that? Never. Nobody responds well to that. (laughs) You know what he said it's like? It's like churning milk. (laughs) Turns a liquid into a solid. It's like grabbing a man's nose and just wringing it, wringing it, wringing it. What's going to happen after a while? Blood's going to be gushing out and yet still twisting it. Fred wouldn't appreciate that. He's bleeding all over his vest. I'm just wringing his nose, wringing his nose, wringing his nose. He said, what are you doing, Brother Keith? Well, that's just how I feel. This is how I feel. And I'm just real. If I feel this way, I feel this way. You can't help how you feel. I feel like wringing your nose. 
know better than that. And yet people do the same thing. Why? They just keep pushing it. Just keep pushing it. No, before it comes out of your mouth, what should you think? Will this edify them some way? Will it encourage them? Will it help them? Will it comfort them? Will it strengthen them? Hmm? Wise men discerns time and judgment. Is this the right time to talk about this? I don't care how you feel. Don't make it the right time because you feel a certain way. How many think we ought to grow up and not be feeling dominated? Let's grow up. Let's grow up. Let's learn to be led by the Spirit instead of our flesh. Let's learn to be led by the direction of the Lord instead of our temper and our hurts and all such stuff. Let's quit damaging and destroying our own relationships, sabotaging our own homes. Let's stop it. Let's quit giving place to the devil. Let's quit. Let's stop. And let's learn how. I mean, anybody can get mad and pitch a fit. Joe Sinner down the street can do that without knowing one verse. Right? It takes somebody who cares, who's making an effort to be led, who's making an effort to do the scriptures, to see something starting to go the wrong way. And say the right word at the right time to defuse it and take the pressure off. Hmm? And stop a fight before it ever starts. Hmm? Now that's a skill. That's something worth knowing. That's something worth being. People will love you for it too. Because even if they don't see it at the moment, later on they'll cool off and get to thinking and look at that and go, I was such a ninny. And they handled that so nice. I love you. You had every right to just tell me off. But no, you looked at me and said just the right thing. In the right way. At the right time. In the right tone. I love you. You're wonderful. What if you said all the time, my spouse is beautiful. Well, they're not attractive to me. Well, what if they're not? You don't have to say that. You don't have to think that. Are they or are they not beautiful? They are. Quit thinking about your silly flesh and begin to say they're beautiful. They're beautiful. They're beautiful. He's a good man. She's a good woman. Hmm? I have a good wife. Are you listening to me now? Well, you know how I feel. Shut up about how you feel. (laughs) We ain't talking about how you feel. We left that long time ago. Are you willing to put forth an effort? This is how you do it with faith. You say it. Come on, let's practice a little bit. Say it out loud. My spouse is beautiful. They're a good person. They're a quality person. What if you said that night and day? Hmm? Well, if you had something that didn't feel right, it'd change. Because your feelings now are the result of what you've let yourself think on and talk about for all these years. What if you start thinking and talking something else? Well, your feelings are going to change. You say, my spouse is beautiful. My spouse is beautiful. My spouse is handsome. They're a good person. She's a good woman. He's a good man. You say that for six months every day. 
You know what will happen? You will change. You will change. Your insides will change. One day you'll look at them, having said it for weeks, and you'll feel that way. Your feelings will change. You'll feel that way. Oh, friend, do you see? Feelings are fickle. They're all the time changing. Don't live by them. The just shall live by, not your feelings, faith. 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 Phyllis, would you come join me? I took a little extra time, but is there something else you got on your heart? Just, you know, I think we in the church try to complicate things. And we try to make them real hard. And we try to, I guess the word I would look for most of all is we try to pretend. We try to pretend like we don't know what's wrong. And we try to pretend like we don't know what the answer is and we don't know how to fix it and it's so complicated and it's, we can't figure it out. And that's just not the case most of the time. Most marriages, especially Christian marriages, most Christians, I'd say 99.9% of everybody sitting in this room is filled with the Holy Spirit. He lives inside you. And you could just read... I mean Colossians. Let me just read it to you and I'll show you what I'm talking about. This take about 30 seconds and then we'll do the other. You'll see exactly what I'm talking about, what he's been talking about all night long. But you'll catch it now after this whole week. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fit in the Lord. That's not complicated. You have the Holy Spirit. You say, when do I submit? When the Holy Ghost tells you to submit. He's right there with you all the time. We shouldn't have to complicate this. It's not complicated. He's with us all the time. We're not people of the world. You know in your heart immediately if you're being rebellious. Immediately you know in your heart if you're doing something that's crosswise of the word of your husband or of God. Immediately you know it. That one scripture right there. Wives. Submit yourselves to your husband as he's fit in the Lord. Then the next verse. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh against them. Husbands, it's not complicated. Love your wife. Love her. You know when you're not loving her. You know when you're ignoring her. You know when you're expecting her to do things that are not right. You know when you're neglecting her. And taking her for granted. She's not your child. She's not your mother. God gave her to you to love and to cherish and to honor. You know when you're not doing it. You have the Holy Ghost. And when you walk out and ignore, you know it. You should walk back in and say, hey, he's done it. Hey, he's come back in and said, what do you think? Instead of just walking out. Those two scriptures right there. We could teach for 16 years, day after day, 16 hours a day. And it would all come back to you doing what you know to do in your private time when the Holy Ghost checks you and you go to say that or you go to do that, whether you choose to do it or you choose to ignore it. That's what it comes down to. That's true. That's true. 
Because the Holy Ghost is there with you. And when he says, calm down, you have a choice to make. In that split second, you have a choice to make. Whether you want your marriage to work or you want to continue going on fussing and fighting. And the thing about it is, it's like I tell the youth all the time. You're not hurting your parents when you rebel. You're hurting yourself. And husbands and wives, you're not hurting your husband when you rebel, women. You're hurting yourself. You're hindering your own finances. You're hindering your own blessings from God. Husbands, it's the same way with you. You're hindering your own blessings from God and your own comfort and your own peace. That's what First Peter tells us. Our prayers are hindered. There's so many people that their finances are just right on the other edge. It's right on the other side. And God so desires to bless the church today. But he cannot do it because the marriages are not right. And there's so much fussing and fighting and turmoil in people's homes that they're standing supposedly and believing for their blessings. But until we get our marriages right, Keith and I's finances were not going to get right until our marriage got right. Because you hinder it yourself. Because your prayers are hindered. You can have good jobs and that deal just not go through. And everything is just lined up and lined up and lined and it just fall through. And it's just that easy for it to go right. By doing these things and following the Holy Spirit. One split second of a decision that you make to open your mouth or to control your tongue. One split second to say, I'm not going to do it. The dogged determination to win. Yeah, I meant to say that uh, part of that quote from uh, Brother Kenneth Copeland. Early on in his ministry, he asked the Lord in a time of prayer. He said, Lord, what's, what's some of the biggest things that we need to be changed in the church? What's some of the biggest problem? And he said the Lord spoke to him. He wrote it down. First time I heard it, I knew it was right. He said, uh, the Lord told him, it is your dogged determination to correct each other. Splitting churches and splitting families and just dividing. Did you hear that phrase? Dogged determination to correct each other. To correct each other. And uh, both directions. Husbands, you're not supposed to be correcting your wife night and day. Wives, you're not supposed to be correcting your husbands night and day. It's friction. Anytime you start it, remember my Camaro. Engine never ran. <laughs> and your home won't run like that. No. You gotta have some space, you gotta have some tolerance, you gotta give each other some room. Because all of us just know in part. You don't know everything, you're not right about everything. Nobody you know is. You don't, your spouse is not. So if we do have any wisdom and understanding, we realize we've got to give each other some space here because there's a whole lot both of us don't know. But the sad factor is, is that the church worldwide is full of kids. And I get to see the kids. And it's affecting the kids. And we're having gays and lesbians just feel, seem like the world because marriages are not right. Because we're not teaching them what is supposed to go on in a home truthfully. Because we're not getting our marriages right. And so we're setting an example that it can't be right. 
when it can be right because we're refusing to listen to what the Lord's telling us to do. And it can be right. It's true. There's so many kids, even among ministers' children, they do not want to have what they grew up in. They don't want what they saw in their mother and dad. They think if that's a marriage, I don't want it. And that's terrible. Because it's not how it is. It's just how theirs was. That's right. But, um, you know, when it's right, the children should be motivated. That's right. Yeah, as soon as they become of age, they should want what mom and daddy had. Right? They should want a home like that. Family like that. Well, if you didn't grow up with that, don't look back. You can find it in the yeah, Word. That's right. You can find it in a faith family today. And you and I, let's purpose that we're going to set that kind of example. That was a little weak. Let's purpose that we are going in a world that thinks, why bother getting married? I probably, you know, a man probably doesn't want a woman anyway. A woman probably doesn't even want a man anyway. In a world that is confused and twisted like this, let's change some people's minds. Let's have something such that people look at us and go, that's what I want. That's right. That's what I want right there. You don't have to preach to people. But it's got to be real. Like Phyllis was saying, you can't be a bunch of pretend stuff, you know. And that's why I know you may think that Phyllis and I both have been, I don't know, plain, strong about some things. You know, so much of the church is pretending. Aren't they? Their marriages are a mess. Their homes are a mess, but they put on their good clothes and they come in and they hold hands in the service and they go hallelujah and they go home and they break up the furniture. Hmm? Well, let's, what good is that? I have no interest in pretending. Me either. If it ain't real, get rid of it. But there is a real. Yes, thank you. I said there is a real. And it's so good, most people don't even believe it. They don't believe, well, it can't really be that good. Oh, yes, it can. Yes, it can. What can it be? It can be a manifestation of Christ and the church in the earth. That's what it can be. That's what it's supposed to be. Somebody say, I'm going to have it. We're going to have it. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.